0: Good day. This is the 20th edition of Free City Radio Podcast. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. On the show today, um, we have two interviews and some music. Uh, It's a pleasure joining you. It is December 15th, 2020, um, here in Montreal. Um, And the first interview I wanted to highlight is an exchange I had with Marlene Hale, who is a Wet'suwet'en... Activist and also a chef who has worked really uh, consistently in Montreal and many places to promote Indigenous cuisine and culture. In the context of uh, protests of the Wet'suwet'en Nation uh, on the West Coast against ongoing expansion of oil and gas pipelines on their traditional territories, um, Marlene Hale became a voice for Indigenous sovereignty and Uh, climate justice here in Montreal. Uh, This was right before the pandemic hit uh, in early 2020. So Marlene spoke a lot um, across both the community media and the mainstream media about uh, the Wet'suwet'en nation's struggle for sovereignty and self-determination, but also um, to represent that struggle here in, in the city. Recently, Marlene got in touch uh, because there's a crisis of health that's facing Wet'suwet'en Nation. Um, The protests that were taking place, people should remember the hashtag ShutdownCanada because when the uh, RCMP, National Police of Canada, moved in and raided uh, the Indigenous people's um, camp for land rights, It made international news and there was uh, solidarity actions uh, with Wet'suwet'en in many places including here in this city. When COVID hit the protests subsided people uh, involved uh, moved to respect social distancing and what has happened in the last month is that there has been this move to bring in pipeline construction workers Um, onto Wet'suwet'en territory to keep building the pipeline. Um, So this is really dangerous, obviously, for a number of reasons. On a base level, this pipeline construction is happening with the vocal opposition of the Indigenous people of the lands um, that are being affected. Um, This, of course, is not new. This is um, a historical reality in Canada in terms of resource extraction. Uh, taking place without the respect for the voices of the Indigenous people of these lands, of these territories, of Turtle Island. So that is the baseline. Another thing that is happening, um, Wet'suwet'en Nation is relatively uh, far from any major urban centre and a lot of the pipeline workers have been bringing in uh, COVID-19. So the pandemic now is starting to affect Wet'suwet'en Nation in a more serious way. And this is directly as a result of the pipeline. This is the message that um, community members in Wet'suwet'en Nation and leaders of the protest have been voicing over the last weeks in December 2020. So I spoke with Marlene Hale of Wet'suwet'en Nation, uh, who's here in Montreal, about this whole context, the situation, and what has been happening recently. So let's go to the
1: interview. Yes, uh, Stefan, I think one of the, the more critical issues that we have of the, of the Wet'suwet'en nation, the Unistot and Wet'suwet'en, as of last year, we all know before the, uh, the shutdown of COVID was to shut down Canada. It was, um, it was incredibly worldwide known where, what was happening in, the, in our territory. Since the COVID, this has been now just almost in 10 months. And um, the the first shutdown we had was awesome. We we had closed the community, everybody was uh, was doing very good. The second one was not because at that time the, the first one they were just apparently building the man camps in three different areas in the around surrounding the Watsutin and in the near Unistoten. And uh, since then, uh, at the second turnaround, as of uh, starting uh, November the 19th, and there started uh, being a COVID outbreak in our community in Whitset. From the 23rd, it went to, it, it developed into 41 people. And these, these are people coming from the man camps of, of the Watsutan area into our community of Witset. And as we all know, that one of the, the most critical things is hospitals. The closest one, is, they have a, the hospital in Smithers, but it's not equipped for COVID. So they have to go by ambulance, either to Terrace BC or by ambulance, but to Prince George BC, which is four and a half hours.
0: So for people to understand, um, when you talk about man camps, these are the uh, construction and pipeline workers that are hired by the oil and gas companies who are parachuted into your territory to construct these pipelines.
1: Exactly. So what these man camps are, they're the homes of of all the workers. They're their homes away from home. They stay there for up to two, uh, uh, two weeks in, two weeks out. When they're there, they're flown in from all over the country. They have to come in from Vancouver into Smithers, into Prince George, into Houston, into uh, all these little towns. And so they're covering all the hotels, the restaurants. They're roaming everywhere freely. And this is what hurts everyone because when we were told to stay at home and isolate, they are roaming freely.
0: So tangibly... For people in your community, Marlene, especially elders, uh, which have played such a critical role in raising the issue of your land rights and title of the Wet'suwet'en Nation internationally, these are people who are directly at risk due to the transportation of COVID-19 by these pipeline workers to your territories. Can Can you detail that?
1: Well, you know, I was just talking to one of the chiefs that two days ago at one of the online funerals that we held, and he was mentioning that this is now uh, seven w- w- people that who were speakers that we've lost since of January of last year. We've lost in our community, 26 people. And now just recently, uh, it, it has gotten uh, right up at, at when it was really uh, getting to the height of it, we had three people coming in from what they call Camp 9A, and that has grown apparently two days late. no, two days ago was another three, so there's apparently nine altogether, and now um, another one from another camp, and then the very first one came from Kitamat, which is the LNG camp and uh the LNG they just had a huge big write-up that they were uh the workers were not safe there at all due to many things that were where the workman's conversation was putting out in a huge report and one of the things that CGL has stated to people that they are on top of the COVID-19 and this is not proving so at all
0: so tangibly uh people are uh facing danger uh some elders in your community have passed away um and um just to underline uh people in Wet'suwet'en nation territories have been really i've talked with you about this before have been working hard to take care and to follow precautions around the pandemic and on the, on the opposite side, you have these oil and gas corporations who are bringing in workers from across Canada without the regard needed for the safety of your community.
1: That, that's precisely, there's been two open letters now. One is from our matriarchs because they are that concerned and they have so many from our community assigned this letter. And this was addressed to to Dr. Bonnie uh, of uh, Vancouver. Uh, She is the, as we know, uh, working very hard for BC. She does this awesome. Dr. Bonnie Henry has, uh, since today, this letter has gone out five days ago and there has been no response from Dr. Bonnie Henry on this issue whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I have contacted a lot of the media, which is normal. I've been on a lot of the media all across Canada. It seems the sad part is we are blacked out from the media. Mm-hmm. Radio, no. Um, I have been on radio, but uh, all the bigger stations, CTV, BCTV, um, Global, uh, none of them have touched it, the story at all. But none of them have spoke about it.
0: So the elders from Wet'suwet'en Nation have directly appealed to Bonnie Henry, who's the chief medical officer of of British Columbia, to address this issue.
1: Yes, and the the amazing thing about that letter, Stefan, was that attached to that letter was an open letter from medical professionals. There's only like seven pages right now of and, and and one after another doctors nurses and, and de- uh, dentists you name it anyone in healthcare, social workers teachers now it's gone viral for people saying this is horrible this is a horrible injustice on the indigenous peoples I once again and this has got to be stopped we have been asking for these man camps to be shut down and is spreading the covet and um, all we get fr- um, from Uh, We we get zero from anyone spreading the the information about this at all. And, you know, the role and duty duty to me of all the media has always been, you know, their mandate is to inform people. Their mandate is to, you know, to to make sure that the stories are out there focusing on on the entire uh, response of the Mm COVID-19. And there is, you know, that has been totally injustice to us.
0: So, Mar- Marlene, um, just to um, highlight this critical issue um, and to sort of conclude, um, the Wet'suwet'en Nation continues to oppose the construction of these pipelines on traditional lands. This has not been resolved. Uh, in the context of the pandemic, the construction have has continued. But the act of protests—it's been much more difficult to stage that um, because of pandemic conditions. Can you just generally speak to people about why it's important for people to continue to uh, give attention to and understand the vital importance of these movements within Wet'suwet'en Nation, but also beyond, for Indigenous land rights and title?
1: Well, the importance is—you know. always keeping the, the momentum going of a story. We cannot lose sight of it, and we cannot lose the sight of because many this whole nine months, number one, we've been put on the back burner by many issues coming up, and it's just justifiably so. When George Floyd came out, the first one, systemic racism, defunding the police, uh, the, the solidarity for the elderly, many things came out, and we, we really had to shift our change, which was just perfect it was not a problem because we're not on the only uh, ones and you know on the frontline workers are trying to save our territory we are not the only one with this issue we we are now in allies with so many people across this country mm-hmm. we're in allies with other people across the world around the world and uh, you, you you can't even talk about a corner of the world that isn't threatened right now but the same uh extractivism for our land and, and, and trade of people and people sacrificing you know their lives Indi- indigenous people everywhere we are just one little dot on the, on the map of the crisis that is going what is stopping us the covet and the COVID has just put a dead, like walking into a brick wall for us that we feel sort of helpless in some ways because we have to stay in but yet the rcmp and the the man camps and the people driving around are just one example how this COVID will never get uh, under control. If there's outbreaks in our community, it's only going to get worse.
0: That was Marlene Hale of the Wet'suwet'en Nation giving some context and background on the health emergency facing Wet'suwet'en Nation right now, in the context of the pipeline workers bringing in COVID-19 uh, to the Indigenous community. Um, I'd really encourage people to follow the hashtag Wet'suwet'en Strong um, and um, also the work of Marlene Hale, uh, who's just an awesome uh, person here in the city. This is Free City Radio. Thanks for being with us. This is the 20th edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. It is Tuesday, the 15th of December. And um, on the program today, we have another interview coming at you. But before we get to that, I wanted to uh, go to a piece of live music that was recorded at a venue actually that is closed due to COVID-19. So I wanted to play a piece of music from that venue it was a great community music space called La Vitrola on Saint Laurent Street. And this is a Santour piece by Ruzbe Tabande, uh, who is a musician here in Montreal and a composer, also an architect, um, originally from Shiraz, Iran. And um, Ruzbe was uh, performing at a community arts event that I helped organize uh, through Howl Arts. And this is just a beautiful Santour set, so I wanted to feature it here on uh, Free City Radio. And thank you to Roos Bay for agreeing to feature your beautiful music here on the podcast. That was a solo santur piece by Ruzbe Tabande, who is a musician from Shiraz, uh, living here in Montreal, Shiraz, Iran. Um, beautiful piece by Ruzbe. This is uh, the 20th edition of Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Kristoff. Thanks for being with us. We come at you once a week, every Tuesday. Uh, thank you to everybody who has subscribed. If you're interested in what you're hearing and would like to share... Uh, Please tell your friends, Free City Radio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and also beyond. Next on the show, I wanted to play a conversation I had with Leandro de Mori of Intercept Brazil. Intercept Brazil has been really consistently working these last years to uncover uh, institutional injustices in Brazil, uh, looking at the ways that institutional corruption Um, is connected to systemic injustice and systemic oppression. Leandro spoke and gave some context to the far-right government of Jair Bolsonaro, um, giving both an update about the health emergency facing Brazil. Of course, uh, Bolsonaro is a close ally of outgoing U.S. President Donald Trump. And also what has been seen uh, over recent years is a major rollback of workers' rights legislation and also environmental protection. The world was following the green light given by the um, right-wing government in Brasilia to open up the Amazon uh, against environmental protocols for the expansion of farming lands and also for mining. Uh, This has been protested Uh, significantly by indigenous people uh, in the region and has been protested internationally, of course. So this is the conversation I had with Leandro De Mori from Intercept Brazil.
2: My name is Leandro De Mori. I'm the executive executive editor of the Intercept Brazil here in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And uh, I'm working with uh, the Intercept for three years. Um, In fact, three years in January 2021, and we are covering in this time the brazilian politics and the the, the militias even in rio de janeiro and the bolsonaro government basically
0: so the intercept has really uh, made an effort to detail the ways that um the political populist right-wing movement around bolsonaro has uh really manipulated um both people economically, but also used, uh, as you've mentioned, uh, paramilitary style forces. This is an issue that is not really covered in uh, the mainstream media here around Bolsonaro. Simply he's compared to Trump and he's described as a populist, but there's not a lot of substance. If you could detail a few key issues that you feel the international press is missing in their coverage
2: yeah there are differences between trump and bolsonaro even between bolsonaro and Matteo salvini in italy or bolsonaro and victor orban in poland or this this kind of new new populists uh, for from the from the far right bank right because bolsonaro he's not he was not a, a national leader first he was not even people even know didn't know bolsonaro since two or three years ago uh, Bolsonaro surfed uh, in a new wave of non-political and anti-political wave here in Brazil created by the Operation Car Wash. If you don't know, if the people that are hearing us don't know about the Operation Car Wash, Car Wash, it was basically a judicial uh, operation here in Brazil to prosecute and, 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 and to got politicians, the traditional ones, the old politicians to jail. So they did that operation for five or 60 years, and the result was, okay, some of the old politicians are now in jail. Uh, they discover a big scandal of corruption in our government and even in our private power here in the country. But uh, they, they even uh, uh, introduced to our population uh, the idea that politics doesn't matter you need to share uh, with other people in in your community and you need to discover new leaders that are outsiders they are not uh, uh, they are not uh, uh, polit- politicians that are doing the same stuff for 20 or 30 years this is the, this is the real problem so the problem is uh, bolsonaro is a politician he just do politics for 30 30 years in our in our public life right but he was some kind of guy that even in the in the circles of the politics here in Brazil he, he didn't count it he never counted he was he was no one he was totally isolated because he defends the, the dictatorship military in Brazil torture and this kind of stuff but in two or three years the, the humor between our population, even because the car wash operation, the anti politics uh, mood that we are breathing in this country right now, Bolsonaro just popped it up as a as a as a um, someone that can save us from the bad politics. But here's the thing: Bolsonaro is the bad 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 the baddest politics you can find because he. Never approved uh, uh, anything on the parliament. He has no proposals. He just just want to 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 liberate guns to people. He just want to to cut all the social programs that helps the poor in the, in this country. The, the the transfer money from the government to the people to the poor people in this country. Uh, he just talks about the military dictatorship. He's he's pro. Uh, uh, torture against criminals or people that he calls criminals. he's anti-communists or whatever you can think about is communists in, in the Bolsonaro world. That is everyone that not, doesn't share the same vision of the world that Bolsonaro has. So uh, this guy, he is. This is the 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 spectrum of the anti-political. That, the, the, that you can find in the war. He's the model. He's, he's the, the one that that doesn't care about the old politics, but not even the new politics. He, doesn't, he does not believe in politics. He just wants to, to, to start some kind of new military dictatorship in this country without tanks and guns, but using WhatsApp and social networks And all the kind of manipulation of of communications and and that you that you can find today online that you and me and and other people in other countries already saw in Italy in Poland even in the United States in Russia or you can name all other other countries right so it's difficult to to understand Bolsonaro. But he basically wants to to create some kind of autocracy that he doesn't need to dispute with Congress, with Senate, and with the politics. He just wants to do what he want what he's want to do. So this is the in a nutshell, if if we can talk about a nutshell, uh, talking about Bolsonaro, this is the scenario here.
0: So. Thank you so much for sharing that uh, outline. The Intercept has really intervened in detail to illustrate the ways that Bolsonaro played politics around the election um, and around uh, manipulation of contracts. Uh, There's a lot of different um, um, specific investigations that Intercept Brazil has done. but I would just ask you um, maybe to highlight one that you feel is very important and also the role that The Intercept is trying to play within the media landscape of, of Brazil and and how that's going for you.
2: Yeah. So we we investigated in the last two years, uh, I think basically two strings. So one of them is the manipulation using WhatsApp. And so they they created, they have some kind of, hate that we, we call in Brazil hate cabinet. So it's, it's the Bolsonaro son and, and four or five uh, uh, staffers from the Bolsonaro staff in Brazil, official ones, paid by public money. They created this kind of, of uh, hate cabinet, the cabinet of the hate. So what they did, they create hoaxes, right? They create uh, uh, fake news or false claims. And they use whatsapp mainly to distribute this kind of content so the people in Brazil uh, you may know that we, we don't have we don't have a strong media literacy in our schools or in our education system so people here part of, of the people in Brazil didn't can't read and understand a uh, uh, a uh, uh, low complex kind of text of article. So we are talking about maybe uh, 30 or 35 percent of people here in this country that you need to communicate with them using audio or videos just that you, you can't imagine they can read an article with 2000 words and really really understand that article. So the the hate cabinet this, the, this, these people they are operating, With with this kind, with this, with with this, this part of our population, right? They are communicating directly with them, even with uh, with videos filmed by Bolsonaro himself, uh, sending messages, uh, passing the impression that that the president uh, are doing a, a direct channel with the with population. But in in, in in this salad, in this in this in this kind of I don't know, uh, Brazilian communication soup they spread even fake news and false claims and false images and they manipulate the communication. So you can imagine the, uh, how, how much power you can grab doing that. So we, we, we publish a lot of, of articles on that. And the another thing that we did in the last two years is, it was investigating the educational system, the Ministry of Education. Bolsonaro changed it three times the Ministry of Education here in Brazil because the press, because we are investigating and 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 publishing the stories and, and we are trying to grab more information about this kind of characters that we never heard about. They are not they are not uh, scholars or, or doctors or uh, or specialists there they are studying education for for twenty or thirty years. They are kind of people that when Bolsonaro named a uh, uh, ministry of education, we ne- you never heard about that person. You need to to do google searches to try to understand what kind of what kind of that that person intends to do on the Ministry of Education so we investigated a lot the Ministry of Education and they are trying to fight a war here in this country that they call the cultural fight so they they are they are convinced that in, in this country we are mainly on universities or our press or or on the supreme court or even in the politics we are mainly communists basically that and we won in the next in the last 30 or 40 years we won the cultural war so we we are the communists in charge that won the cultural war so they need to win this cultural war against us and the way to do uh, apart that one that uh, manipulating communication using mainly whatsapp is to colonize the ministry of ed- education and the schools and the universities and control the universities control the kind of books you can distribute control the kind of uh, content that you can pass to to our to our students control control the kind of content you 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 uh, uh, go through our to our public television for example or for for our for our scholars. So this is the war they are trying to 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 fight right now, and they are very convinced that maybe the government will pass, maybe in two thousand twenty two Bolsonaro will not be reelected. But this cultural war in in their heads. If they won it's it's a one for 30 or forty or fifteen years so this is the real war ideological one that this person uh, bolsonaro and the people that surround him and all the people of the, of the hate cabinet are trying to are trying to fight in this country right now
0: How has it been going for you uh, as a journalist and also for the intercept in Brazil and trying to engage with these attempts to Um, delegitimize uh, progressive ideas within the education ministry and and beyond. How has that process been for you?
2: You know, uh, it's hard because at the same time, they are trying to delegitimate even the press. In this particular, I think it's the same United States, Poland, and Italy, and the Philippines, and other countries that are facing the the, the far right government, right? So, the first thing Bolsonaro said in the inauguration day in 2018 was the press is the, the public enemy number one. So, we need to fight the press because journalists are enemies of the country. He said that. This is a text. This is a a quote from Bolsonaro. So, uh, you can imagine a part of uh, I don't know fifty-four million of Brazilians voted from for Bolsonaro. So, fifty-four millions of Brazilians are buying any idea that Bolsonaro is selling in this market of ideas, right? So they started to think that we, as journalists, we are the the enemies of the people, the enemies of the nation, the enemies of uh, of the future even, if you can think about that. So at the same time, we need to do our job to investigate this, this cultural war against the education. We need to defend ourselves from a cultural war against us, a communica- uh, they, they are using a lot of uh, false claims and, and fake news and communications on Twitter, for example, uh, on Facebook, on, on YouTube. I don't know if you know, but Bolsonaro uh, every every, uh, every Thursday afternoon, I think, is uh, he, he does a, a, a live on Facebook every week from his house with ministries and other kind of weird people from this weird government. And every week press is an issue. Every week he talks about the press. And the difference between Bolsonaro and the other governments that we have had in this country in in the last 30 years, uh, I mean, after the, the the military dictatorship, the difference is if you talk about Dilma Rousseff or ex president Lula or Fernando Henrique Cardoso, the other ones, they already talked about the media, they already talked about the press, and they, they, they uh, blame it us even. But the difference is today, Bolsonaro are naming the names. So they are not just talking about the press, they are talking about me, they are talking about our colleagues they are naming journalists so this is hard to understand it's hard to defend yourself the result is mainly journalists they they close their twitter accounts for example so the result is bolsonaro can silence some part of our colleagues just doing that not not doing doing not suing us or 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 sending the federal police to our houses. Just doing a live show on Facebook and talking about about the press and naming journalists because the pressure on social networks are very very strong after even after a live show that Bolsonaro does just on Facebook, for example. So this is the this is the time that we are trying to survive. I, I mean.
0: Well, it seems then the issue is not actually addressing the critiques of the press. For example, uh, the Intercept, but also even more mainstream media outlets in Brazil have addressed the huge failings of the government uh, around the pandemic, especially for um, communities that already experienced systemic marginalization, economic oppression. Uh, so it seems the strategy is to not actually address the critiques of policy that the media is presenting, but actually just delegitimize the individual journalists without yeah. actually addressing the substance of the issues.
2: Yeah, it's the same that we have had in, in, in the war in the, in the last, I mean, in the last century. We need to attack the messenger, right? This is the, this is the strategy, it, it's clear, but, uh, but I insist 10 or 15 years ago, I'm journalist um, since, to tell, since 1998, right, and um, I can't remember a government, a central government, a president that that named journalists. I mean, uh, when we published a, seri- a series of, of stories last year called "Vazajato" here in this country, um, showing that Operation Karwash uh, was in, 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 in a great part uh, a corrupt. Uh, uh, uh against the the the, the judicial system uh, bolsonaro i can't remember when bolsonaro named it the intercept for example, but he named it a lot of times glenn greenwald uh saying that glenn greenwald uh can can be um, expelled from this country he he must be in jail so I, I I'm trying to to remember remember, but I but I don't remember if Bolsonaro named it the Intercept. I don't think so. He just talked about the Glenn Glenn Greenwald. So it it seems a little difference, but it's not. At the end of the day, it's your personal uh, Twitter account that's that is that is that is uh, the, uh, the, the 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 target of of attacks, and not the Intercept account. So and you alone you can you can feel that you're even isolated because other colleagues they don't want to fight that fight so they 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 feel sorry for you they talk with you on on the private message but not many go public and say hey you can't do that you can't do that we need to defend this colleague we need to defend journalism because people are afraid people are afraid and it's if you think about the names that Bolsonaro and all this government attacked in the last two years, maybe you see maybe 18 percent of female journalists, and this is strategic too because it's easy to attack a woman, right? It's easy to attack publicly a woman because the misogynist social uh, so, uh, uh, country that we live. So it's it's a thing that it's it's they do, does not just, just uh, wake up in, in the morning and, and decide to do that. I think they, they, they know exactly what they are doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing this. Um, in terms of the emergency that's happening right now, uh, The Intercept is trying to address the emergency. Um, there's also a huge mobilization that happened uh, around the recent um, municipal elections, um, and Bolsonaro's, uh, allies did suffer defeats. Um, that's very important. Um, when I talk about the emergency, I'm specifically talking about the huge, uh, danger of the pandemic, especially for working class and urban poor communities, which ironically, Bolsonaro was able to mobilize for the vote in some cases. So I'm just wondering if you could talk about that current context
2: right so in the in the in march in the beginning of the pandemic here in this country we we saw two two different movements the first one bolsonaro movement denying the pandemic calling the COVID 19 uh quote a little flu uh and saying that just Old people will die and, you know, people die. So everyone, you will die, I will die. So you don't need to, to think about that. It's it's, a, it's just like, it, it will be just like H1N1, just, just another flu. So, and today we are in the end of the year. So we are talking about March to December. He didn't change it, his mind. He still talks about that. The other movement was from the mayors and the governors. They, they, from the politicians, they, they, they wa- was the first ones to talk about lockdown, to talk about masks, to talk about staying home. So the afraid of all the, 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 the politics and the politicians and even the journalists and even the analysts that, that, are, that are trying to, to understand Brazilian politics right now are at time maybe in the elections for this year Bolsonaro will won the narrative war because he will say can't you can't you see the economic it's down because the mayors and the governors they wanted the lockdown so are their fault I, I never I never said to you to 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 stay at home you need to go to the streets you need to 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 work uh, you need to grab money, okay? So we are afraid on that. But fortunately, in, in the midterm elections right now, Bolsonaro lost. So he, he was the one that talked about seven or eight candidates for the main capitals in Brazil, São Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, Recife, Salvador de Bahia, Porto Alegre, Curitiba. And these candidates that, that Bolsonaro supported, they lost and the mayors and the governors that at the beginning talked about lockdown, masks, staying home, generally they they won, they have won the elections. So this is a very good sign. up we don't know if if this momentum will spread to 2022 when Bolsonaro can be reelected or not. But right now we are seeing the victory of the rational system created by Jean-Jacques Rousseau and this kind of people that we can't remember um, anymore, but they existed and they created some kind of system that helps the humanity still today, being a little bit ironic, of course. And so for now, we are in that moment that, that we think, just think, oh my God, finally some 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 waves of rational but we don't know if this moment will will stay for 2022 i hope so but i'm not sure
0: thanks for that the last thing i was hoping to ask you about was uh international responsibility um you know here in montreal or you know just south of montreal new york city um people uh, are um in their daily lives using a lot of products that uh, rely on resources from Brazil, um, there is some rhetoric. For example, um, you know, from our Prime Minister in Canada, Justin Trudeau, around respecting human rights internationally. Um, but when it comes to the act- actual economic day to day, in terms of taking any economic action to um, direct punitive measures towards a government that is disrespecting the environment and human rights, for example. Prime Minister Trudeau here did speak about the uh, fires in the Amazon and the responsibility of the populist right wing government of Bolsonaro. But there was no actual uh, policy uh, that was taken to try to restrict imports or to impose any sort of sanctions. You know, when it comes to uh, countries that, um, you know, have a sort of that, you know, the West has an economic interest in, there's very seldom uh, actions taken. However, um, unions, um, you know, progressive voices uh, have called and detailed ways that people can take action against, you know, investments in different funds that, um, you know, uh, are creating the growing destruction in the Amazon, for example, investment funds. Uh, through different um, banking conglomerates, um, so I'm just wondering if you could talk about the importance of responsibility on an international level.
2: Yeah. So for for first, I think Bolsonaro, when the Bolsonaro government ends in 2022, I hope I think Bolsonaro knows that he can be prosecuted for crimes against humanity, right? Not just because of the COVID, but even because of the Amazon. Uh, we are seeing. The, the deforestation uh, that we have, we, we haven't seen in in twenty years. I think it's accelerated uh, process of deforestation, basically to 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 cattle, basically to create cattle. This is the project. So it's a terror movie, and I was talking last last week with an ambassador from a foreign country here in Brazil. Uh, I can't can't name this person, obviously, but I asked the same. I asked, look, your country are, you were talking about the Amazon, about the fires, about deforestation. Okay, but do you think your government will do anything or just blah, blah, blah? And he said, we will not do anything because, we don't have this power of pressure today as a government because the private sector, it's gigantic. It's, it's, it's biggest than the government. The, the, the companies from my country, and if you can, th- can think about, I lived for three years in Italy, so I can talk about Italy. And this, this ambassador was not the, the, the Italian ambassador in Brazil, so I can talk freely about that. If you if you think about the, the Italian government, the investments the Italian government does in Brazil, versus the investments that Pirelli, Fiat, Finmeccanica, uh, and now the fashion industry uh, they they does they does in Brazil, you must talk about private sector, not about government. So uh, the way maybe we need to think about this. Uh, in other countries that are buying products uh, from Amazon is you need to talk to people to try to, to, to not buying that kind of product. So if you are living in Italy, if, if you are living in Canada, if you are living in the United States, you have three options of meat, for example, in Europe. The the, the the most appreciated is the argentinian the second one is the uruguayan and the third one is Brazilian the different the different of the, each one about taste and it's 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 not maybe just if you are uh, uh, anyone that loves meat and and knows about the process of of creation etc but if you can choose but for example for not buying brazilian meat you must do that and but this depends on on the on the the the, polit- the local politicians the social movements you you know and it's a it's a medium slash long-term range project you can't just say to italian government hey don't buy brazilian meat anymore because italy will will be without meat this is real in, in Italy you can't see cattle for example we just have cattle in, in the region of, of Florence in Toscana um, they, they create ma- mainly in basically uh, uh, pork so they need to buy cattle right they need to buy meat and they buy from Argentina from Uruguay and from Brazil so if the social movements if the local uh, uh, restaurants if the local distributors starts to think about that, I think that it's a different way to attack this problem. I don't believe that governments can do anything right now. This is my, this is my position.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, thinking about sort of long-term strategies that people change their daily habits in terms of products, in terms of what people purchase, in terms of what banks invest in, uh, and how those decisions over long term taken together collectively in a particular region, city, and a country can actually change policy. But I think you know it's a really I really appreciate your point, but also um, the idea of the long term game. And I I think that the maybe we can just end on this point because I think right. you know with this populist um, wave. Um, people I think often are looking to quick fixes, you know, uh, sort of shortcuts to get out of these situations. Um, Okay. So in the United States, Trump lost the election, but those uh, remaining issues are there. Right. Um, Right. But what you're talking about really um, when the roots catch, you know, when the roots take hold, you know, for example, um, you know, on different human rights issues, and here in Canada, you know, it's been many generations that people have been trying to raise the issue of dispossession of Indigenous people. Uh, and you know, internationally, Trudeau is credited with addressing this issue, but in yeah. fact, it's really generations that have worked to address it, uh, and yes. he has been forced to do so. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, just to end on this, uh, if you could highlight. Uh, any reflections on this point and also uh just uh the role that you think you know alternative uh media institutions like the intercept can play in think in, in creating a culture to think about these issues in a more long-term setting
2: yeah right maybe other ways to do that even using the, the press and even using using our 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 journalism is is Pressing, for example, I'm pretty sure that Canada does the same, but I remember that Norway, for example, they have, they have a huge money that comes from, from the petrol uh, it's pu- public money that they, they have this big, huge billionaire fund that they, they invest in, in thousands of thousands of ventures and, and companies in Brazil. For example, in, two years ago, I published it on Intercept that this fund, this Norway fund, this Norwegian fund, fund are financing financing illegal mining in the interior of the Amazon. So you can publish these stories and trying to 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 get the stories coming to Norway to the population and to the population pressing the government and the fund to stop to investing in this kind of ventures. So. Uh, and you can talk about illegal money, you can talk about even deforestation. You can talk about, about paper industry, paper industry all around the world, even Brazil. So maybe in Canada, I know that that funds in Canada, even public ones, are investing in mining in Brazil too. I think gold mining or some kind of that. Maybe journalism can discover that this public money are, are responsible for the deforestation too in Brazil because this public money that 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 it, it's right now fueling illegal mining in Brazil so maybe journalism can can act on 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 this stream too
0: that was um, Leandro de Mori from Intercept Brazil uh, giving some context and background beyond the headlines about what is currently happening in Brazil um, we are hearing news to a degree about the uh, health emergency around COVID, but I thought it would be important and um, helpful to have some background from a very vibrant and critical independent media organization in Brazil. Uh, the Intercept, of course, also has a branch in the United States, um, but their operations in Brazil are very strong, and um, i really encourage people to check out their work. This is Free City Radio. This is the 20th edition. I'm uh, Stefan Christoph. Thank you for being with us. Um, I wanted to encourage people to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, of course, at Free City Radio. Please tell your friends. You can reach me at stefan.christoff at gmail.com. Also, I'm on Twitter at spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. And I'm here in Montreal. I hope that you're all doing well. Uh, Thanks for listening. I wanted to go out and finish uh, the podcast this week uh, with a piece of music from an artist here in Montreal named Anna Atkinson. This is a project called Linaire.
3: Because